Today we're talking not about the ancient plan of the early church. We're talking about the strategic plan of God the Father. Did you know that God the Father also has a strategic plan to win the lost? And I'm not just talking about the plan of salvation you find in the Bible. I'm talking about the fact that God himself has been working and strategizing a plan specifically tailored for the friend in your life that needs Jesus. And today, I'm going to share with you from the Bible what that plan is that God has for your friend. In a sermon that I'm calling Stuff You Should Know About Your Unsaved Friend. Stuff You Should Know About your unsaved friend. Let's pray. God, my prayer today is that you would help me demonstrate to our friends in this room what the word of God says about your heart to win the lost. God, my prayer is that you would use this holy moment to shift the mindset of Christians who do not yet see themselves as part of your strategic plan, that you would help them to see how the church themselves and the Holy Spirit fit into what they are called to do and what you have been choosing to do to bring their friends to Christ. Oh God, there's only so much I can do here today. Apart from you, I'm an empty voice. But if your Holy Spirit will come in right now and fill this place with your presence and fill this speaker with your word, there can be accomplished a supernatural changing of lives. And this is what we ask for. In the name of God, our Savior, we pray. Amen. The first time I played this board game with my father, he smoked me. He smoked me bad. It was pretty, pretty rough. How many of you ever played the game Risk growing up? How many of you played Risk growing up? Very good. It's a, it's a lot of fun. How many of you have never played this game? Raise your hand. Okay, more than 50% of you. So let me explain how Risk works. First of all, do not play unless you have 39 days to spend. It's a very long game. It's a very long game. Number one. Number two, number two, um, if you're going to play, don't play with my father. Here's why. Because he'll kill you and he has no mercy. My father was the type of father who did not believe that it was a good idea to let your children win. You know what I mean? He didn't need to build up his, your self-esteem. He was busy crushing you under his heel to let you know the way the world actually works, right? And so my father sat us down. We we're going to play. I was probably eight or nine years old at the time. And we set up the board. And if you've never played, basically you're given some pieces and you place your pieces as an army on the stage of the world. And what you're supposed to do is take over the world. Conquer the world. That's the goal. That's what you're supposed to do. Well, I had never played before, and so I didn't have much of a strategy. My father had played many times, and he engaged his strategy. I, more than anything, I decided that I wanted to place my pieces in America. Because I'm an American. Can I get an amen for America? 
I mean, my family's placing their stuff all over like Argentina and China and India. And I'm thinking, are you kidding me? When you cut me, I bleed red, white, and blue. I'm a patriot. My spirit animal is a bald eagle. Can I get an amen right there? And so I put my, my piece down in North America and my father, my father, who at one point I used to respect, my father places his piece on Eastern Australia. I thought, this man, he has no idea what he's doing. Next time I go to place a piece, I go from Western United States of America to Eastern United States of America. Now I've got the entire United States. I know it's the greatest country that ever was. Now I build up my borders and I beat the world from here. And my father places his next piece on Western Australia. And I think to myself, I got the fool. Amen? Now, if you've ever played this game, you'll understand immediately that my strategy is a losing strategy. Not because America is weak, but because in this game specifically, the best thing to do is go for Australia, conquer Australia, and then from there, take over the world. <laughs> Crushed my little spirit. And you say, are you bitter about it? I'm a 34-year-old man talking to hundreds of people about it. Yeah, I'm a little upset. <laughs> but at least he had a strategy. Did you know that God, your father, has a strategy to take over the world? See, a lot of you as Christians, you sit back and you feel defeated all the time. In fact, in a lot of ways, you express yourself as defeated. Look at how bad the world is. Look at what's going on. It's all falling apart. And you forget you're on the winning side. Can I get an amen? And God has a strategy in which he is winning the world to himself. And his strategy is not only global, his strategy is individual. Which means he's not only going to conquer the world, he's trying to conquer every person you know. One on one. Which leads to what I want to talk about today from the scripture. And that is stuff you should know about your unsaved friend. There are things that you should be aware of that you need to know about your friends who do not know Jesus. How many of you in this room today love Jesus Christ? If you do, say amen. amen. How many of you also who love Jesus know people who do not know much about Jesus? If that's true, will you say amen? amen. We all do. We all do. What, what do you need to know about these people? Three things. Number one, you must know this about your unsaved friend. Number one, God's been drawing them. Here's what you need to know about your unsaved friend. God has been slowly drawing them to himself. There is not one person in this room that God himself has not individually tailored a plan to draw you to himself. God's been doing that to you and every single person you know, God has been drawing. Not everybody runs to God. Some people feel the pull to God and they run from God. But it doesn't change the fact that God himself is drawing them to himself. Isaiah, excuse me, Jeremiah chapter 31 and verse 3 
says, yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. And therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. This passage takes place almost 2,600 years ago. And, and it's a prophet named Jeremiah speaking to the nation of Israel. And the nation of Israel had a very bad habit of running from God, getting into trouble, and then running back to God. Running from God, getting into trouble, and then running back to God. How many of you have the same habit sometimes like, I, like Israel had? Running from God, getting into trouble, running back to God. How many have ever experienced that cycle before if you have, Right? Isaiah or Jeremiah says to them uh, over and over, you've been running from God, you get in trouble, running back to God. And he, then he says to him, them in a very long monologue, he explains to them how God feels about them. And he says to them, here's how God feels about you, I, Israel. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Since before you ever knew God, God knew you and loved you. Before you ever knew who you were, God knew who you were and he loved you. He has loved you with an everlasting love and with loving kindness, with patience and tenderness, he has been drawing you to himself. And what is true for Israel is true for you. That's why in your life you experience so many moments that you can look at as definitive God moments where you look and say, man, God did that in my life. Man, I gotta tell you, that was a terrible accident, but somehow God saved my life. That was a tragedy in my life, but it turned me to God. That was an amazing triumph in my life. And when that happened, my mind awoke into the things of God. That was a beautiful moment in my life, and God spoke to me. There are these God moments that you can point at. It's why you feel, deep down, it's like God's been chasing you your entire life. And some of you are thinking to yourself, I thought I just felt that way. Yeah, you feel that way because God has been drawing you. But don't you understand? God has been drawing every single one of the people in this room in the same way that God has been drawing you to himself. It's not constant. It's not every day. In fact, a God moment might happen once in your life at a young age and not happen again for another 15 years. But you can look back and say, God did that. And God did that. And God did that. Why? Because he has been drawing you day by day with these God moments. Everyone has them. As I said, some of them are tragedy. Some of them are triumph. Some of them are moments of ter terror. Some of them are moments of comfort. Some of them are moments of inexplicable protection. Sometimes it's a moment of creation. You look at creation. I was just talking to a friend on Friday at, at coffee. And I asked him this question. I said, when were some God moments in your life? By the way, if you ask that to people and you get them alone and get them thinking, say, when were some moments that God just made himself obvious to you, like woke you up. I promise you, every single person in the world will tell you a story. Do you know why? Because every single person in the world, God is drawing them. So I asked a friend this on Friday and he said to me, he said, you know, he said, when I was in like my mid-20s, 
and he's like 43 now. He said, I was standing in Bali. Bali? I'm like, hey, I want to go there, amen? How many of you think we should take a missions trip to Bali? You say, are there people that need to be saved there? Probably. We'll see. We'll see. We'll check it out. He was in Bali. And he said, I was standing on the beach and he, he, I think he said something like, I reached over and I picked up a seashell or something and I came up and I looked as the sun was coming up. And he said, in that moment, I just felt like God. Well, I I know that happens because the Bible says in Psalm number 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows its handiwork. Day unto day, they utter speech. Night unto night, they show forth knowledge. There is no speech. There is no language. There is no tribe. There is no country where the voice of the heavens doesn't shout, there is a God. So I know it from the Bible. Now I know it from my friend. I said, really, that's a God moment. He said, yeah, it's crazy. And God put that moment in his life. That wasn't salvation. That wasn't the moment he got saved. That was the moment that pointed him to the moment he would get saved. Make sense? How many times have I said to somebody, "Uh, tell me about a God moment in your life where God just woke you up to the reality of himself. And people will say, man, pastor, I gotta tell you, when I was... When I was in the hospital and I held my daughter for the first time, it was like God was saying to me, she's your child and you're my child. God moment, you see? I was talking with a woman recently at coffee, I don't know, months ago now. And I said, have you ever had any God moments? She said, oh yes, plenty. I said, well, tell me, about, tell me about your earliest one. And she said, well, when I was about 19, and then she stopped and said, no. And she looked at me almost like I wasn't gonna believe her. And I always look at people and I say this, it's okay, you can tell me, I'm a believer. <laughs> and, and she said, okay. She said, pastor, when I was six years old, I was standing in a funeral looking at the coffin of my molester. And in that moment, I, I didn't know what to say. How is this a God moment? And she said, I was so confused and angry and sad. And she said, and tears welling in her eyes. She said, in that moment, I know this is gonna sound weird. She said, I felt a hug. And that hug embraced me and whispered into my heart. She didn't say ear. She said, whispered into my heart, everything is going to be okay. And she then said, I knew that was God. Well, I'm... I agree that was God. Of course that was God. This was a God moment in her life. Was it the moment she got 
saved? No, but it was a moment in her life that led to the next moment in her life that led to the next moment in her life that all leads to the summit of salvation where she can look back on her life and say, it's so obvious God has been drawing me to himself. I need to be born again. And what is true for Israel is true for you and it's true for every single person you know. This is what you need to know about your unsaved friend. God has been drawing them. Well, this shouldn't be a surprise. Jesus told us this would take place. Jesus said the night before they crucified him, he was with his disciples in the upper room. He was having a final supper and he told them this. He said, I've got to go away. I'm going to die and I'm going to be crucified, buried and rise from the grave. I've got to go away, but it's okay because it's actually better for me to leave because if I leave, I can send him to you. Well, I don't want to butcher the passage, so let's look at it. Look what it says in John chapter 16. He says, Jesus says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. He tells his disciples, and for those who were here last Sunday, I referenced this passage and I looked at it from a different perspective, but there's another element I want you to see here. Jesus told his disciples, look, I know you don't want me to leave, but I've got to go. I'm leaving you. But it's actually to your advantage that I go away. Because if I don't go away, I won't be able to send him to you. Who is the him that Jesus sends? Who is it? The Holy Spirit. I'm going to send him. Now what will the Holy Spirit do when he comes? The next verse tells us. When the Holy Spirit comes, look at the next verse. When the Holy Spirit comes, look at the next verse. It says, when he has come, he will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and of judgment. There are a lot of things that the Holy Spirit does for the believer. But there are three things specifically the Holy Spirit does for the world. The unbeliever. This is what the Holy Spirit does. He convinces them deep in their heart, they are a sinner, there is a righteous God, and that judgment is coming. They know it. Did you know for the last 2,000 years, you don't have to convince somebody they're a sinner. They know they're a sinner. If you ever try to fight with somebody about the idea that they're a sinner, give up. They're not fighting you, they're fighting God. And they've been doing so in their life and in their heart their entire life. They have God moments just like you do. They just may not tell you about it. They know deep inside, I'm a sinner. I've done wrong against God. They know there's a righteous God. Why? How do you know this? Because the Holy Spirit of God has been telling that in their heart since their youth. And they know the judgment is coming. Deep in the heart of man, they know one day they're going to answer to the righteous God for their sin. And I already know all of that about them. And here's what's crazy. When I sit down with an unbeliever, they don't know that I know what they know about them. But I know. I know they've had God moments that God's been drawing them. I know deep inside they feel like a sinner. I know deep inside they believe there's a righteous God that one day they're going to answer to for the judgment. And with that information, I'm able to look at them and say, I have some really good news for you. If you're honest with yourself, you're honest with me, and you're honest with God, 
I've got the best news in the world. Do you see? These are the things you've got to know about your unsaved friend. They're part of God's strategy to win the lost. Here's the first thing you must know about your unsaved friend. Number one, you've got to understand God's been drawing them. Number two, number two, you were sent to them. You were sent to them. Part one, God is drawing them. Think of the person in your life, your coworker, your friend, your neighbor, your relative. God has been drawing them. Number two, you were sent to them. I want everybody to do a little exercise with me. I've been talking a lot. You haven't done much, so. <laughs> I want everybody to look down at their feet right now. Go ahead and look down at your feet. Can you see your toes? Anybody can see your toes? Shame on you, your church. <laughs> just kidding, I'm just kidding. Can you, how many, everybody see your feet? All right, look, some of you are like, no, because Thanksgiving. No, that was months ago. Move it aside. Look at your feet. Everybody see their feet? All right, all right. I want you to look at your feet and say, you, you are, are beautiful. beautiful. <laughs> say it again. You are beautiful. Some of you are like, what kind of yoga class did I show up to today? <laughs> Romans chapter 10 talks about beautiful feet. And it says that those who preach the good news of Jesus have beautiful feet. Well, I, I, I'll explain. Romans chapter 10, look what it says in verse number 13. For whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How many of you believe that no matter who you are, you can repent and receive Jesus, call upon Jesus, and he'll save you? How many of you believe it? If you do, say amen. 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 Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? That's a rational, logical question. How can you call on Jesus if you don't believe in Jesus, right? Right. It goes on. Here's another rational question. How shall they believe on him in whom they have not heard? How can you call on somebody you don't believe in and how can you believe in somebody you've never heard of? Right? Here's another rational question. And how shall they hear about him without a preacher? That's a good question. That's a, that's a good question. <laughs> the more interesting it is, the higher your voice. How, how, how in the world... Do you call on somebody if you don't believe in them? How do you believe in somebody if you've never heard of them? How do you hear about somebody if you haven't been preached to or told about them? Some of you are like, yeah, we're talking about Jesus, right? Yeah, and we're talking about the preacher, right? And some of you are like, I'm so glad we have a preacher to do that. And you got a good preacher, amen. <laughs> okay, all right, okay. But this passage is not talking about pastors. It's talking about Christians talking about Jesus, okay? So it's telling every single one of us are preachers that are supposed to preach the good news of Jesus. Say, I am a preacher. Say it with me. I am a preacher, okay? Look at the next verse. And how shall they preach unless they are sent? How is it that you can tell people about Jesus if you've not been sent to tell people about. So you say, Pastor, what are you saying? I'm saying you have been sent 
by Jesus to tell people about Jesus. And then there's a verse that really is beautiful. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace. Look down at your feet. Everybody, everybody look down at your feet. Look down at your feet. Say, you, you are, are beautiful. beautiful. Don't stop looking at your feet. Now look at your feet, look at your feet. Everywhere they walk this week, God sent you. Look at me now. Wherever your feet take you is where God sent you. It means you don't work at the auto zone, you were sent to the auto zone, yeah? Don't you understand? You don't work at the Venetian, you were sent to the Venetian. I don't work at Southern Hills Church, I was sent to, how many of you believe that your pastor was sent to be the pastor of this church? Say amen. amen. Okay, I always get nervous because like, <laughs> I'm like, this is not an official vote, okay? Like, <laughs> look, I am no more sent to be the pastor of this church than you were sent to be a cop where you're a cop. If you believe that I was sent here, then you must believe that you are sent to where you are. And if I'm supposed to do my job in preaching Jesus, you are to do your job in preaching Jesus. And wherever your feet go, you've been sent by Jesus to talk about Jesus. He sent you to that job. He sent you to that school. He sent you to that classroom. He sent you to that classmate. That person that you sit beside is not an accident if you have a Messiah who sent you there. He sent you to that neighborhood. You think you picked that, look, you think you picked that house? I believe absolutely that God allows us choice. And they also believe that God is an absolute master chess player who knows where to put all the pieces. And I believe he's so good that if you pick the wrong house, the person you were supposed to live beside, he'll get him to live beside you very soon. Why? Because you're in that neighborhood for a reason. He sent your feet to go tell them about Jesus. He sent you. So what does that look like then, pastor? You were not only sent to that job, that neighborhood, you were sent to that family. Let me say it this way. You were not born into that family. You were sent to that family. Some of you still take your identity in who they are, but you've been saved. You've been bought with a price. You have been regenerated. You're a new person in Jesus Christ. You are not from them. You are from Christ to them. Do you understand? Your job, your hobby. You ever wonder why you like the weird stuff that you like? <laughs> right? You like some weird stuff, man. 
Why do you like that stuff and not the other stuff? Could it be possible that God has perfectly shaped you to be the perfect evangelist that you need to be for the people that you need to talk to? Do you you understand? Your experiences, the terrible things and the wonderful things you've been through, they, they, they all perfectly shaped you, the piece on the board that you need to be so that God can win the one that he loves, the person that it puts you beside. Your skin color. Don't you? David says, you, you shaped me in my womb, every aspect of who I am. None of these things are accident. You say, why did he do it? Because he loves the people you're supposed to be sent to. And here's what's crazy. You are the most perfect person to go to them. You think to yourself, man, I got to tell you, if Pastor Josh could just be with me and say all the things, it wouldn't work. Do you know why? Because I wasn't shaped for 50 years to be sent to them. You were. You are perfectly molded and shaped to the ministry to which God has called you, you see. Your personality, everything about you, everything unique about you, everything odd about you. So, so, okay, so here's the point. Here's my point. Do you understand that you're gonna enter rooms that I'm not allowed to really go into? So why is he sending you there? Well, you get a paycheck. So I can spend my paycheck and then need another paycheck. <laughs> he sent you into those rooms to represent Jesus Christ. So what is God's master plan here? Here's his master plan. God's been drawing them. Here's what you need to know about your own stuff. You've got to know about them. God's been drawing them. You've been sent to them. And then lastly, this church was planted for them. This church was planted for them. Some of us really misunderstand why the church exists. Some of us think that the church exists for Christians. It doesn't. In fact, on an individual local level, this church itself was not started. This church was not planted for Christians. Right? I'm not a sushi chef who opens a sushi restaurant for people who like sushi. Do you understand? This is not a job to me. This is a calling. And my calling is not to gather a bunch of Christians. My calling is to reach the lost for Jesus Christ. The purpose and mission of this church is to make disciples for Jesus, not to pacify angry believers. Can I get an amen? Amen. You say, how do you know why this church was planted? Because I know the people who planted it. There's a picture of them right here. That's them. That's a long time. That's 20 years ago. The guy, for those who don't know, the guy on the left, that's, that's myself. And, you know, and the person on the right, that's Heather. That's my first wife. 
technically true. Still the one I'm married to. Can I get an amen, right? And 20 years ago, after we got married, we got on our knees and we began praying. Now, this is obviously a photo op that we used at that time for our church planting portfolio. Like where we went to raise money to plant this church. But this picture actually represents truth. That is, not hours and hours, years and years of praying, God, where do you want us? And we prayed about all sorts of places. We prayed, God, where do you want us to plant a church? We thought about Washington State. Because I heard up in Washington State, per capita, there weren't as many churches. Because Heather and I didn't want to waste our time planting a church where everybody already had a church. And then, I, then, I, then we really began to pray, God, where are the most sinners? And this is a true story. So we went on our honeymoon to Washington, D.C. Because we genuinely thought, if there's a place with the most sinners, it's Washington, D.C. Amen? It's true. That's where we went. On our honeymoon to Washington, D.C. to check out. And to come to find out, there are so many churches in that area. They do not need another church for Christians to jump around and be like, I like this, I like that. We were out. <laughs> and then it was like God just hit us over the head and said, I mean, how about Sin City? So we moved to a place filled with sinners to the very gates of hell. And we started a church not for Christians. We started a church to reach the lost. I wrote this. And I rarely ever read my sermons, but I felt very strongly that God wanted me to write this paragraph and read it to you today. So here we go. Why did we choose Las Vegas? You may not know it to look at them. But those 21-year-olds are warriors. They weren't looking for a cushy pastoral position after seminary in Jesus Town, USA, where there's a church on every corner and everyone is already knows Jesus. They didn't want to plant a church near the pearly gates of heaven. They wanted to plant a church a few feet from the gates of hell. They wanted to reach the lost, the dying, the unsaved. They believed Jesus when he said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So to Las Vegas, they moved to rescue sinners out of the clutches of hell to reach the unsaved because it is the unsaved who never ask questions like, where is the religious symbol on the building? They ask, how do I fix my family? It's the unsaved who ask, it's the 
Christian who asks questions, the unsaved will never ask questions like, when will you play my favorite song? Instead they ask, is there hope in this life? The unsaved never ask, why aren't you using my favorite Bible version? They ask, what must I do to be saved? And, and, and we are here for them. Do you understand? Why do I say all this? Because I want you to understand this is a safe place to bring your unsafe friends to meet Jesus. Are you saying Christians aren't welcome here? All people are welcome here. But the Christians who enjoy being here are those who understand this basic principle. This church is about making disciples for Jesus, not pacifying everybody's preferences. And if you're a Christian here today who can get on board with this, understanding that God has been drawing them to himself. God sent you to get them and he planted a church just for them. You'll stand back and look at the board and say, I think he knows what he's doing. I got to get in on what God is doing.